Hello and welcome to the very 86th Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. Podcast about board games, board games, and the people who board games. My name is Matt Lees. And I am Quentin Smith. And we have got some board games to talk about. We have. As we you have. So expertly teased. Yeah, well, we've been playing a ton of them. We're not going to talk about now, but just so you know, in terms of videos, we will have a review of Root coming mm. up very soon. We've the, been playing a ton of that. Yeah, if uh, all goes to plan, our Root review will be up in two days. Mm. Uh, so that's a little tease for that, and do go and watch that because we've got things to say for a long time, probably. It's not a short review, yeah. On the internet. Imagine that. It's one of those, you get, I think, maybe two reviews a year where you put them out and they're, and they're our big, serious reviews of that year. Yeah. <sighs> serious eyebrow reviews. But we're going to talk about some stuff. What would you like to talk about first? Well, I'm going to tell people what they can look forward to. We're going to be talking about Werewolf Legacy on this podcast. Oh, baby, if you've played Pandemic Legacy and are aware of board games that change over time, what if I told you they've released a big box that does that for Werewolf? We're going to be talking about uh, V Commandos, uh, a game where you play commandos in World War II. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to be talking about Dice Hospital, a game of a game that asks the question, what happens if dice get sick? <laughs> and the answer is insane. <laughs> uh, yeah. And sometimes the dice die. Yeah. Frequently. Which is also... Yeah, we'll come back to that. It's a, a pun. Oh, yeah. That's a joke, isn't it? Uh, it's also what actually happens. And finally, Matt and I have taken a trip to the bucolic Norwegian town of Nusfjord. Ah, Nusfjord. Nusfjord, uh, which ah, is a game Nusfjord. from Uwe Rosenberg where you run a little fishing village. I just like saying Nusfjord. Honestly, it's a lovely name, even if it's Nusfjord. like very difficult to Google. Stop being such a Nusfjord. Uh, and it's where you grew up, isn't it? Nusfjord. Nusfjord. I actually grew up in Nutsford, which is... Knutsford, which is actually really similar to Nusford. Oh. So I wasn't just completely joking when I was saying that. And that's a place famous where King Knut uh, decided to part the... He said he was going to sit and stop a river from flowing. That's Nutsford? Um, yeah, Knutsford. Although it's amazing because he said he was going to sit and stop the river Lily from flowing. Uh, spoiler, he didn't manage to do that because <laughs> he was just thinking he was, you know, psychic or something. No, it's, I, I think I know the story. He believed that I'm king of all things yes. and I, therefore I'm king of the land. If I tell the river to stop, it will. Yes. But it didn't. But it didn't. Egg on his face. But my favourite thing about that is the fact that obviously rivers change over time. And in the time of this story, it was a fairly impressive river. <laughs> now the river lily is like this tiny trickle that just goes down next to a road and it just looks like a drain basically and, and people go that's the river lily and it's like that's a river wow um, but it still cool. exists it's just crap and if somebody said to me now I'm going to stop that river from flowing I'd be like sure I believe that <laughs> like I wouldn't be impressed so I'm going to spike this chat volleyball and uh, we're going to be talking about our most exciting game first what, ah, a, what a treat which it, one is that it's werewolf legacy okay People are excited for this. Yeah. So uh, just out of the gate, I'll explain a couple of simple things. So what Werewolf is, is a very popular social game where um, players all sit in a circle and some of them will secretly be on a team of werewolves. And uh, all the rest of the players, which is most players, are villagers who have to elect someone to lynch mm -hmm. uh, through the pleasingly democratic process of a vote. Uh, you vote for a player to kill. Then everyone falls asleep, everyone closes their eyes, the werewolves wake up and pick a player to kill. Mm -hmm. So the circle of players gradually narrows down to nothing. It's also called Mafia, if you've uh, heard of that game. Yes. Now, Mafia is exactly the same, but I much would 
recommend, more highly recommend Werewolf just because you actually get to, rather than being like serendipitous and thinking, oh, let's shoot this guy and stab this person in the back, you do just stand up and go, hang him! <laughs> and especially after a few drinks, it just, it does devolve into mob rule. Yes. In a way which is... Horrific, but also... Some, so perfect. It's mob rule, but sometimes the person you lynch truly is a monster. Yeah. And you're like, yes! And sometimes they're going, wait, no, 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 please, no! And it's too late, and they've been hung, and they weren't a werewolf. And everyone goes... Ooh. <laughs> Maybe we've made a mistake. Yep. Um, now, Werewolf Legacy is um, part of a new wave of board games that are called Legacy Games, which were invented by uh, Rob Davio's Risk Legacy um, a few years back, whereby when you finish a game, what happened in that game is carried over to the next one in a sort of campaign where in Risk Legacy, you know, maybe for example, if you rule a continent for long enough, you get to found cities in that, conf- in that continent Sorry, I'm being a bit incontinent here. Um, and then Are you? you can. Oh no, my god, no, I'm not. Um, <laughs> I, it was a combination of like, can I make a joke about incompetent? No, so you went for incontinent. Yeah, which is, I mean, it's I a mean, choice. You see what I was doing? I was circling a good joke. Once there. you've, yeah, no, I can see what you're doing, but I think once you've gone for incontinence, you know, it's, you've really made you bad. <laughs> hey, wouldn't want to lie in that bed. No, because it's got poo in. Yeah. Um. So yes. Uh. Anyway, so I before this podcast started. Um, I wanted, I asked you... You gave me quite an interesting thought experiment. Yes, I said, um, Matt, you've played a ton of Werewolf. You did the original review of Ultimate Werewolf on Shut Up and Sit Down. People can still go and Google that. Yeah. Um, Shut Up and Sit Down's review of Ultimate Werewolf to see Matt younger, more youthful. I made chili con carne. It's a pretty decent recipe. Oh, Stand yeah. by that recipe. Yeah, yeah, Some yeah. of my older recipes, I go, eh, you know, I've got better ones now, but that one's pretty solid. Uh, so what would you want from a game of Werewolf Legacy? Well, you asked me this, and actually I realised as a design thing, it's quite challenging because the thing about legacy games is you want players to feel invested in the the ongoing sort of story. Yes. But in Werewolf, obviously, every time you play it, the joy of it is that every time you've got two bastards (laughs) who are trying to eat you or murder you for fun, depending on what fiction you're going for. And so how do you have something that feels like it has progress and feels like you're all working through something whilst also having something where within games so you can't have like joint long-term objectives because you're going to have people who are trying to disrupt them Mm -hmm. so the thing I kind of settled on immediately that I thought would work really well and I know for the record I know nothing about Werewolf Legacy um, would be to have a system whereby like the players consistently you'd have like a bunch of houses of families so every time you play you always play regardless of whether you're a werewolf or whether you are a you know you always play as the same family and you might have another player who always plays as the same family so it means that maybe then you're trying to look out for generations of your family. Wow. Okay. Like, and then it means even if you're a werewolf, you know, you still got to look out for your family. That's the only thing that for me would make sense as being like an ongoing narrative. <laughs> but then I led to all sorts of ideas and I thought like one of the things that could be really cool with it is if you had a big deck, I basically designed my own version of it in my head in about three minutes. If you had a big deck of all the cards that are just characters yeah. with different colours on them, and then every game you just you get one, but you get the colour you always get because that's your family. And then rather than just destroying cards and throwing them away, when characters get killed, you could maybe have like a big panini sticker book, which is your family trees, and you could stick a person wow. across through it to be like that family tree's dead. Whereas if you survive, whereas a game. if you survive a game and you keep surviving, then when new characters get added in to the game, yeah. they would naturally just then be like they would fill the next slot in the family tree of being like, oh well, there's a new blue character, and it means that that's the son of this person. And then you could do a thing of being like. You could unlock new things in the game by being like, when five people of this house have died, add this to the game. Wow. Or like when this family, if there's ever a point where there's a generation of four, four generation long, 
add the, open this box. Yeah. So or if could, there's been a werewolf in every generation of this family forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then you could have a thing of basically like, you know, you, it, the first time a family gets completely like wiped out, then like it would be a thing. You still use those cards, but you create a new family almost like mm. they'll move to town. But I don't know. I thought that'd be a really fun way of, of, of having it so that you would be sometimes the bad guy and sometimes the good guy. But it would be more about envisioning this idea of like I um kind of legacy of people of yep. this town and like even if yeah you know my cousin was a werewolf but I'm still looking out for him like so uh, you ready for the wacky thing right that is exactly what it does whoa uh, so you've not the Panini sticker book family tree thing but yes you've identified exactly the same solution to the, I'm kind of I'm shocked that you came up with um, what they did I literally did that in about Two minutes, Two minutes in the other room. I, you, yeah. gave me, you only gave me a few minutes. So um, once the campaign proper starts, the story loosely is that you're all a bunch of settlers who arrived in America. You know, that first wave of uh, puritanical, um, very Christian settlers. And so it tracks the sort of growth of your village very loosely. But more importantly, yeah, very early on, you're given this card, which is your family. And um, the way that it works is by doing certain things, like, for example, um, being voted the most valuable player, you get... Um, little stickers you get to put on your big kind of, not passport, but like your big name card. So for example, you might be, what was that? I, I, I was like Ember Umbert or something. And then if Classic. I won a bunch of games, I could be Count Ember Umbert, which means when a card is burned out of the game. So for example, let's say there's 12 players, you'll actually have 13 roll cards. So mm -hmm. there'll always be one missing. Maybe if you're a Count, you get to look at that particular card. Mm -hmm. um, it, however, um, so while that is good because it means that you are you do kind of care about your family, it, they, they're trying to do exactly what you suggested, which is whether you're a werewolf or a villager, you're kind of looking out for your family and you just want someone on your family to win. Um, but uh, I'm bearing the lead here. And do you have another player which is you do, yes, the same family? Which is why it's minimum eight players because yes. then you'll have like two people per family, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, but it yeah. plays all the way to 16 and then you can have bigger families. However, um, Shut Up and Sit Down was really excited about Werewolf Legacy. We thought this could be such a cool box, such a cool accessible box. And I actually put together a super group to play it this weekend. Um, there's a gentleman uh, in England called John Gracie. He works as a writer and a comic. And he has a, a live show which he takes on stage where he plays werewolf live with members of the audience or comedians. Uh, and so he's kind of the closest thing to, that England has to a professional werewolf moderator who will keep the game going and be really funny. Uh, we hired him to come and be the moderator for our Werewolf Legacy game. We put, pulled in loads of our friends and actors, and we played in one day a good third of the entirety of Werewolf Legacy. And I will say this, the best thing about Werewolf Legacy is it's a fantastic excuse to go and play Werewolf again. We had a pretty great day. Mm -hmm. However, we had a great day because Werewolf is great, and just about all of us were pretty disappointed by the design of Werewolf Legacy. Yeah, it's a shame. So, yeah, the story itself, um, we were, it's kind of, I mean, I won't mince words, it's kind of bunk. Um, you get a couple of paragraphs between uh, individual kind of legs of the story. Each, each uh, game is kind of a year in sure. this 20-year history of the clan. Um, but the story in between doesn't, it's not very evocative, it doesn't have many twists. It reminds me of how when I played Pandemic Legacy Season 2 in my review of it, I was like, mm -hmm. these guys aren't writers. And that feel it feels quite similar mm. with Werewolf Legacy. You're reading out big chunks of text, but it's like, these, this isn't interesting or engaging. But most frustratingly, um, it the way that Werewolf Legacy is structured, it just throws in some random roles. So this is, you can skip, mm, well no, tell you what, I won't tell you to skip forward, I won't spoil this at all. 
Um, and I'll keep it vague. But you know how in Ultimate Werewolf there are like 20, 30 different roles you can mix in? Yeah. So the way the campaign is structured is quite simply like, to begin with, you play Vanilla Werewolf. And actually, Vanilla Werewolf was the most fun we had all day. And then it goes, mix in these roles. No thematic, like, story wrapper. It was just like, mix in some crazy nonsense. And we all played right. a couple of games of that. And then it suddenly just pulls those roles out and goes, play with these roles now. And within the quite grim and sort of serious story it was telling, the roles made no sense. So there was very little consistently. We didn't feel that, also, most importantly for a legacy game, we didn't feel like our choices were impacting the next game very much. Yeah, I mean, there's also the weird thing of like, and this is why it's sort of difficult to have the consistency. Really, ideally, what you want with a generational thing is like if somebody had been like the fortune teller, yeah. Then, then next time they weren't, and someone else was, wouldn't make much sense. That's why, in a way, like the ideal thing for me would be, and I don't know how you do it, but to have a system whereby the idea of like you play a character and then they literally, like, you can never play that. They never play again. a character again. They're either dead or, and that's why maybe if the character was just a name and you literally come up with a name mm. and then you just write it in a book and then like and then you just have this massive like proper written family tree. It, it's a really complicated puzzle. I don't. It you sounds know, really cool, but then as soon as you start thinking about it, you're like, how? does that work? I'm definitely not saying it's easy, but no, no, no. when we were brainstorming it, um, we did actually have some really simple, effortless, easy ideas that, because uh, after we finished and we were like, this isn't working for us, we all started talking about things they could have done. And just as a group of 12 werewolf fans in a room, we instantly came up with stuff where we were all like, oh, that would be so good. Like, for example, every time you are lynched and you are not a werewolf, what if that name card you have, you get a stamp on it, kind of like a scar in Pandemic Legacy? Which means, after multiple games of being lynched when you're not the werewolf, you suddenly have a physical object where you're like, Look! You've been lynching me incorrectly for game after game after game after game. And then, obviously, that becomes a... Me- and that's not even a rule. That's just yeah. a prop. Well, also, yeah, I mean, I think as well, like, it'd be really nice rather than having, like, uh, something which is a very, a very strict written story. There's a lot you could do with mechanics. like Especially if you did have something of, like, having a house of people who's diminishing or growing rather than just like this house is doing well, but Mm. actually have a thing where like you do have a mechanic whereby if a house keeps growing and being successful, then suddenly it's like, oh yeah, you're in charge now. This house is in charge. So these people in this house get like some bonus all the time and then having other people when they're on the verge of like destruction, suddenly being given maybe like a kind of almost destructive... Because then you can can basically have a thing whereby... And I think it's funny because... You know, we talk a lot about legacy games, and it's it's interesting the fact that we've had how many years now since Pandemic Legacy? Uh, since the first Pandemic Legacy, yeah. probably about three years. And obviously, that's not a huge amount of time, really. But we've had a lot, relatively, of of legacy style games appearing over the past few years, mm-hmm. and the best one is still Pandemic Legacy. Season yes, one. the uh, the era of legacy that we were all entering has just seen pretty much nothing but disappointments from our perspective. Yeah, or like things that just haven't really met up. Matched yeah. up to that way. It wasn't the first one, obviously. Risk Legacy was, but haven't really met the standard of that. And I think again, we talk about this a lot, and hopefully we'll start to see these games coming and you know things matching these games. But the reason that Pandemic Legacy worked really well was yes, it had this story on the cards, but it also had readable mechanical stories that you invented yourself. Like, yes. you know, we're bringing in these people, we're doing this. Like it was a very uh, clean translation of mechanics to story. Yeah, it was, it was the choices that you made felt like they were the story more than anything else when you thought look let's double down on this tactic yes it felt very thematically like in the story the characters were taking this tactic not yes. just like a tactic in terms of a board game but being like we're dealing with this disaster and we've decided to do it like this and often just mechanically those choices felt moral and felt interesting and felt like are we doing the right thing yes. not just in terms of like are we doing the right thing for the mechanics whereas I think like a lot of these games since now are like 
have the story being written on cards rather than just giving mechanics of being like, oh, the player who's, you know, in Werewolf Legacy, the player whose family has had the most incorrect lynchings now suddenly gets this. Yes, exactly. And suddenly having halfway through people going, oh my gosh, the person who we've been screwing over... Is now got is this now really great power. really dangerous or something. Um, yeah, it's... It, it never... Uh, the designers of Werewolf Legacy never identified that the story in Werewolf is incorrectly lynching people and... Like, that's the... The core and the dark heart of it. Um, yeah, it's it seems like a real uh, red flag to me that, that the first thing you explained is that the card marks how many times you've won. Because that's not what it's about at all. And oh, fact, no, that's, that, that, that's, that's not just actually one a thing? mechanic in it. Oh, no, okay. it's, um, you, you mark whether you've won or not, and there is a most valuable player. It's just very wobbly. You don't feel that your decisions... But most valuable player, again, is odd. Like, most yeah. valuable player? It's What is it, that... I mean, it was, I, it's is it a, best player? It's a real, it's a real home thing. Also, the, and I've realised one thing that I can spoil because it's the first and only token that's introduced. Well, not the first token that's introduced for the very early game is something called the Ivory Tower token, which if you are lynched um, first, if you mm-hmm. if you are killed first in a game, then you get the Ivory Tower token, which means you can't be killed first next game. Which means basically you don't have to sit out multiple games of Rare Wolf in a row. Um, that's a fine mechanic and no one disliked it because it meant that, you know, you couldn't get killed twice first. Mm-hmm. However, it, they could have made that token anything, right? But instead, they made it a physical tower, a tall white tower, a literal ivory tower. However, that does not... <laughs> that's not... It doesn't at all gel with the fact that every page of the story is like, oh, well, you're new settlers in a village and you're... It's like, well, what? wait, hang on, hang on. This is Times a... are hard if you spent all of your money building an ivory tower. <laughs> it's like, what is that? You know, it's... It, and I think... Yes. That in and of itself was not anything we complained about, but that is indicative of the degree of... Uh, I want to say lack of thought that's gone into tying together the story in the game. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's not. I can't go into specifics because I don't want to spoil Werewolf Legacy. But what I would say is, if you just want a really good excuse to meet up and play Werewolf over and over with your friends, hey, get Werewolf Legacy. It's not terrible. It's just yeah. it's not something we would encourage people to go and seek out. That's fair enough. Yeah, cool. Another game that takes ages to play that I don't need to play. You know, I'm happy with this. <laughs> like, because the thing about Legacy games is when they're not like amazing. It just means that you just have, like... It reminds me of playing video games, and I may have said this already in the past, but I had a, a period in my youth when I was just... Uh, I just got into World of Warcraft, and I oh, wasn't yeah. playing anything else, and it was just all I played. And then after a while, I was like, this is the only thing I'm playing. Mm-hmm. And then I stopped, and I discovered Resident Evil 4, and went, oh my gosh, what have I been missing? This is the best game I've ever played. Yeah, it always blows my mind when people, you know, are saying, like, they're, they're playing Charterstone or something. And yeah. I'm like, are you enjoying it? And they're like, well, no, we got to finish it. It's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah, it's like, it's like you don't have to finish video games either, or even films. Or books, that's Anything, what, yeah. I, I love books. Just get bored. And have tons of books. But, you know, I think people would be shocked if I told them, oh, God, no, I don't finish most of the books I buy but that's why I love books because if I'm not hooked on something anymore I just put it on my shelf and then that's fine and yep. that means I read more than just about anyone I know which is backwards yeah but. no you're right because otherwise you think well I should finish this one first before I go in but yeah it becomes this thing of like having people around I mean I'm still playing Pandemic Legacy Season 2 and it's kind of stunning because we've joked about it throughout the process but we're actually not far ahead of it being a month for a game because mm. <laughs> we started in January and we've just finished October so we're like oh, wow. slightly ahead, but not really. So you're playing it in real time. We're basically playing it in real time. Um, and yeah, you know, we've had a lot of fun with it. And I do enjoy the fact that it is this bizarre puzzle. Um, and, you know, the, the, the number of mechanics and the number of 
interlocking things and number of systems and the number of like guesswork you can have of being like, I think we should do this because this is a problem. And and sometimes having this thing where you realize that you kind of in the back of your mind been thinking you should be actively trying to do something mm. long term, but you haven't done it. And then you're like, oh, we're in so much trouble. But then at that point, the game does come in with a little olive branch to do with that. And you're like, so it does kind of know. Yes. Um, so I think mechanically, it's very interesting and very clever. And you it's do very end- interesting and very clever. I don't think it's very like, it's not nowhere near as functional. No, and- no, no. It's like not at all. Like that's the thing is, and I completely understand what happened. And we've talked about this before. It's the fact that like people got annoyed with the first game being like, yeah, but it's too linear. And it's like, okay, well, let's make it less linear. And then people go, oh, you know, some people go, it's too easy. Some people go, it's too hard. And it's like, that's what happens. Like, mm-hmm. It's messy. It's not an elegant game. And towards the end, it's like, there are so many different mechanics and stuff. It's like, okay, this is a bit ridiculous. Yeah. But we're still really enjoying it. But yeah, the, the writing is just, it's increasingly bad. Like just some of the stuff on the cards, you just think, oh, come on. Like, We've been seeing that a lot this year. I feel like there is more and more of a trend to print story in the form of text on cards. Yes. And gosh, I mean, even I mean, that's nothing wrong with that, but you've got to you've got to have really good writers. And you can't just do the thing that video games do and this is so important. Video you cannot just bring in a writer at the end and have the writer fix it. Mm. You know? It needs to be an integral part of it. If you're going to have a game with lots of writing in it, you need a writer working with you on the whole time because part of being a good writer is for somebody to be able to say this just whole all this writing needs to go. Like, that's the first thing about being a good writer is knowing when you need to delete half of what you have. Yeah. And if you've got game designers saying, "Oh no, we can't. There needs to be writing on this card." The writer should be able to be able to say, "Why does this card even exist?" You know? And that, cuz that's an important thing. Well, it's like we always say, the legacy game, well, like one of the best examples of writing in a game is Pandemic Legacy Season 1 not because the writing is good no. but because there's not much of it there's not much of it and most of the story happens through mechanics that's the key thing is you shouldn't need to have like lots of story text and lots of story flavour text and writing mm. um, you should be able to tell the story through mechanics you should be able to have a sentence being like this has happened and actually the first Pandemic Legacy game was great for that it would just say Coda is da 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 and then it would be new mechanic and then that combination of Coda is evolving with this is happening was enough to make everyone go, ah, yeah, exactly. oh my God. There's, and, a, there's a very uh, good example of this quite early on in the Werewolf Legacy campaign where you, the place where you set up your village in the story has a box in it. And the box is a physical box that comes in your copy of Werewolf Legacy and you can choose to open it. But rather than it being like a, a wooden box or a wood effects looking box and then you open it and you can just share and talk about what's inside, you open it and then what's inside doesn't make sense and you turn to a page in the rule book and you read a bunch of paragraphs explaining what are in the box and it's like, oh my God, you could have just put something that made sense in the box and had no writing and it would have been better rather than having something that is nonsense and then the game goes, now let me tell you what this means and then it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's... um. Yeah, I think show don't tell. You yeah, know? show don't tell, and I think that's the thing is, especially in legacy games, is the surprise of new things. I think if you're clever, then you can have very minimal text and interesting rules that have people just going, "I don't get," and then going, <gasps> "When one player understands the significance of what this means." Yes, and that's just so exciting. And I think that that's something that's yeah, especially even where you know, I think it's interesting in in Legacy Season Two. It has almost like pandemic what, Legacy Season yeah. Two. Sorry, I just forget because it's like... It's the, it's the legacy cause, game. Yeah, right. Because no, nothing else has come to stop that from being the case. Um, a lot of it could just be counted as flavor text almost. And like, you know, like, oh, you know, like reading law books in video games. Like, it doesn't matter. But it kind of, 
in a way, by being there, being like when you find these cards and you have writing on them, you feel the impetus because this is what we're taught to do in games, to read them aloud to the table. Yeah. And sometimes when it's like a bit of a damp squib, it actually like... Just it really it, removes the energy yeah, from the room. Yeah, it makes it worse. Like, it's interesting actually how some of the... the not feel bad moments, but the, the things in Legacy Season 2, Pandemic Legacy Season 2, um, that have made it be like, eh, okay, and felt like, yeah, that's a bit... I've actually been... Where writing has made it worse. Yeah. Which is just a shame. And I think, like, it's something that people really need to be wary of because, yeah, I think that what we're starting to see now is an attitude to writing in games which is almost not dramatically different to the attitude that people almost have had about art in games up until quite recently of being like, hey, it has art. Like, (laughs) you know, know, it's got the things. What's the problem? Whereas, like, at the moment, it just feels like there are a handful of people really nailing it like Mr. Bistro for, uh, you know... Oh, for um, uh, his Gen 7 writing coming in. soon yeah. and um, Stuff Fables. Like, he's just... His writing's great. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of it, but it's great and it's evocative and it immediately, like, fills a world and tells stories in a way which is just really good. And I think, like, yeah. I really hope that people start to cotton on that the reason lots of these games are not landing is is largely down to that. Anyway, then, we should yeah, we should move yeah. on because we've got a bunch of games to cover. Yep. Matt, do you want to spend a few minutes talking about your experience with a little game called V Commandos? That's commando music for anyone at home. Matt, what is a commando? A commando is somebody who doesn't wear pants or knickers. And um, they go outside of the house. What? But they're still wearing uh, clothes on top of that. Trousers, maybe a dress, whatever you want to wear. Okay. You can literally wear whatever you want to wear. Is if that- anyone says you can't... <laughs> They're awful. <laughs> Be yourself. Live live your dream. Commandos were basically a very elite and still are a very elite military people. You know, we live in a <laughs> we live in a world in which it's kind of weird now increasingly for me to be like, yeah, military things, people shooting people. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> because, you know, the internet has allowed us to access all sorts of information and make us realise that maybe the world is Maybe war is bad. Maybe war is bad. Maybe murder is, is bad. But there's an exception in the form of World War Two, <laughs> in which it was a uh, historical alternate reality in which it was f- absolutely fine to, to enact violence on Nazis. Um, it's very much a game which feels like there was a PC video game yep. back in the late 90s, I'm going to say, called Commandos. Mm-hmm. And it was fabulous. Okay. You had these archetypes of these different types of commandos. And they're like, this guy's really good at like swimming. <laughs> this guy's really good at yeah, that's what you need on a German. To, okay. You do, and there's a river or a lake. No swimming, no big problems. I would I like say to no think that any elite military unit could swim across a lake. Yeah, but he's got like a snorkel. He can like swim okay. underwater. You can never play this game. I did, but only a okay. bit. Cause it was well, really yeah, it was really hard, but it was really satisfying. And you've got another guy who's really good at stabbing people in the neck. Another guy who's really good at stealing people's clothes and then wearing them and pretending to be German. And the idea was you had to kind of like use all these people to basically solve a puzzle of being like, how do we break into this like Nazi base and steal some documents and get out and the answer is you just methodically kill all of them and then just leave Um, but you didn't have to do that (laughs) you could be really stealthy and tactical and this game feels really evocative of that in a way which I I cannot believe is (laughs) so this is it's V commandos it's also like you're moving commandos around a board yes so basically it plays weirdly a lot like Pandemic in a way in the fact that you each have a commando and you move them around a board from uh, and there are 
Nazis patrolling and moving around and reinforcements coming in and you have to go and, you know, there are missions. We have to go and blow something up. We have to steal something. Oh, and so you have rules for being like stealthy and then rules for not being stealthy. And it has a really nice flow to it. It's basically once you get into the rhythm of it, it's a really fun thing of uh, you're moving around these tiles and small rooms allow you to be stealthy. As soon as you move into a small tile, then you're immediately hidden. But if you move into a medium tile, then you, you might be hidden, but you have to roll a dice and see. Mm, so it's cooperative with everybody working together to defeat the Nazi menace? Yes. So basically you all take it in turns to move around, but you can choose the order in which you play. Uh, so it has a really nice thing, like the same with Pandemic, actually, of being like, oh, but if you go to Sao Paulo and do this, then I can do this and do this. But obviously it's much more like action movie oriented. And the fact that you realize... If you go like, to the laundry room and shank this man... Yeah, you're like, you could sneak in there and you can stab this guard and then I could run in, shoot the lock on the door and then you can run in and throw a grenade through the door. And it's pretty exciting because in your head you play out this little sequence, like mm. bam, 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 and you feel like commandos and that's pretty neat. And it also has a lot of... Um, the thing that took us a little while to get into it was because it has lots of little bitty rules, right? Yes. And so... It wasn't until we'd been playing it for about 40 minutes that we got enough into the flow of being like, okay, we're into this now. But crucially, as soon as we got into that, everyone was like, this is really fun. And we were really enjoying it. Um, but there's so many bitty rules, but they're all very thematic. They're all like, there's lots in the manual, there's lots of addendums of being like, this rule, except for when this. This yeah. rule, except for when this. But it kind of works because they all make sense. You can't run across a river. Yeah, well, it's like, you know, when you go into a big room, like, you're immediately, you can't hide in a big room. But if you go into a small room, you're immediately hidden. If you go into the, an outside, a medium room, you can stay hidden, but it costs two actions. But then every time you move into an area that has Nazis in it, that you're hidden, for each Nazi there, you roll a dice. And if you get a one or a two, which has eyes on it to show you you've been seen, then you've been seen. So it's like moving into an area with three, you might be fine or you might not. That sounds cute. It's actually really cute. And what's lovely about it is as soon as the alarm goes off, as soon as you get spotted... The reinforcements all ramp up and there's loads more people and they all move towards where you are. But, in very like Commando's video game thing, once per mission, you if you can get to the place where the alarm is, you can switch it off and it's like false alarm. <laughs> so it means like you can set the alarm off early but then switch it off and be like, it's fine. But it has a nice escalation of trying to be stealthy and we had a couple of missions where like as soon as I got in, it was just like, I just stepped out of the thing. And I'm like, this is fine. One guard, step out. That's my two actions. And it's like, roll the dice one. It's like this guard immediately goes, ah, commando. And it's like, oh no. So then we had to go loud immediately. But you have stuff like gun emplacements, which um, the guards were like, has a neat thing when guards move around, they like stick to objectives. Very video gamey. So if the guards walking by, they'll be like, oh, no one's having a go on that gun emplacement. I'll do that. <laughs> and so then they'll sit on it until you go and shank them. But then it means you can use them as well. And you can be like, dun, 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 just gun down loads of Nazis. It has some neat things as well as it has the, um, the kind of Space Hulk thing of like when you get reinforcements, you pull them out of a a bag or like a pile. And like summertimes it's just like, oh, there's no reinforcement there. It's a blank one, which means like, no new guard there, fine. Mm. But every time that happens, you put in a super guard into the bag or into the stack. So this sounds really neat. What if there was a, is there a campaign? There is. The campaign actually is pretty neat as well. And the fact that like what you tend to do is you play like a mission will be like two or three different maps. So it'll be like, right, first you do this map. And then as soon as you finish this map, you will then unlock this map and you'll do that. And sometimes the maps happen synchronously. So with the mission we did, the first mission, all three of us are in this one place blowing up a dock. Then the second mission was two different locations mm. that happened kind of simultaneously. But it's like, well, you can have one person here and two people here. So you decide to split off. You look at what equipment you've got from the first mission you've still got, and you go, 
well, how about you go here with the stolen uniform? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's neat. So then it means you do that. But the nice thing is, is you can have more people move into between the maps because you can like use shortcuts to just move between two places. But as soon as you exceed the limit, you set off the alarm. So it becomes a neat thing of like, it means again, like you, you try and do it stealthily. But then if one, one thing goes really bad and you're like, actually, I'm in trouble, then you can basically send somebody over from another mission. It's really neat. The things that don't quite aren't perfect about it is because it uses like standardized tiles mm -hmm. like all of the small tiles there's like an outdoor one and an indoor one and that's it you flip it over oh okay but so there's not like a nice art to pick no and it's it's i feel really conflicted about this right because it does mean that the missions don't feel quite as evocative right yeah but it also means that it's a game in which over an hour you're asked to set up three maps it just takes like a minute because you just go bum 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 because it's so simple to set up. Yes. And I kind of feel like that's great. Yes. So it's like it's a bit annoying sometimes where you're like it doesn't really feel like we blew up a dock there. We just blew up a <laughs> warehouse. I definitely feel um we've talked a lot about the excellent games of Imperial Assault mm -hmm. and Descent, um Fantasy Flight's um fantasy and Star Wars-y running little people around a map thing. And I always thought that they struck a really irritating balance where every tile has custom art. Mm -hmm. So when you set up a map, you're like, oh, well, I need tile B7. God, yeah. But they all look quite similar. So it's like, if you're going to do custom tiles, then why am I doing like, oh, this corridor versus this slightly darker corridor? Yeah, I mean, I think actually Imperial Assault was better at that. And I think there were some really nice, like, evocative things. Nice Especially, rooms. There were definitely some where you felt like, yeah, we are in a jungle outside place. <laughs> or like, yeah, we're in a cantina. Uh, so that was kind of worth it, but I'm not sure it was worth the pain of like setting it up. Where's CO14? Like, you know, I, there's definitely some. We talked about stuff Fables a while back, which has that lovely mechanic, which I would definitely enjoy if yep. other games ripped off. Which is a book, and you turn a page of the book, and the page itself is the board. Yep. Which means setup is in two seconds. Yep. Imagine that. That is really neat. Um, yeah, I, I actually, I really enjoyed the Commandos. I think it's... You have um, an expansion as well, right? Yep. I've got an expansion which has more characters and more things, and I need to look into that. Um, but yeah, it was like a really light, simple thing. Kind of felt pandemic-y in terms of the structure, but mm. then you do have the rolling dice to shoot people and stuff of like... It felt like a cross between pandemic and Imperial Assault. Um, that sounds it, lovely. And it had a really nice escalation of being like, you can quite quickly go from being like, we're absolutely fine, to being like, Oh no, one person's been shot. I'm going to try and save them. Oh no, now I've been shot. Um, <laughs> it's annoying because Shut Up and Sit Down always reviews these big thematic miniatures games with guns and swords. And often we come away going like, oh, it's not that good. But it's not that we don't like, you know, action-packed games about, you know, hiding from Nazis or whatever. It's that they just have to be... The game has to be really solid. Yeah, and I think also you can have a lot of feature creep and a lot of stuff. This is actually quite nicely uh, pared down. Like, uh, it's all using cardboard tokens. Like, yeah, there's you know, no miniatures, right? The production all... on it is quite nice. It's just very simple. Like, so there's no miniatures. Which means it's going to be cheap, I bet. Yeah, I th assume so. Let's give it a Google. The manual is terrible, I have to say. Like, it's um, it's infuriatingly bad. And there aren't... Um, and this is funny, actually. I've, I've already gone from being like... A game should have a really good manual, and I think they should, but I also, I'm happy these days if it's like, but if there isn't a good manual, if there's a quick 15-minute video I can watch, which is really good, then that's fine. Mm. But when you've got a manual that isn't great, and you go online, and there isn't a video, I'm like, just just get Rodders to do it. Good old Rodney Smith. Just or, chuck some uh, money at Rodders. Or Paul Grogan, of course. Or Paul Grogan. There's, yeah. There are so many, Paul Grogan's like, thing for Gloomhaven is fantastic. Like, mm. I use that to learn the game, and it's brilliant. Nice. Like, 
you got to have this stuff. And the manual is one of these manuals where it very exhaustively goes through lots of different scenarios for very simple rules, but then it explains the rule that's slightly more complicated and has no examples. <laughs> like, I don't get it. Just, it's not a very difficult game, but it just took me so long to read the manual. And it's this big, glossy, beautifully printed thing. And you're like, oh, this cost you. Like all these extra pages <laughs> didn't need to be in. Like this cost you money. Um, Still, it sounds like uh, if people are interested, they could definitely Google V Commandos and maybe pick it up. Yeah, I think it's a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to playing more. Like, it's the sort of game where we, we had a game of it and we're like, oh, this is a really, like, we want to try and organize like a Saturday afternoon or something. It's oh, a lovely. properly, like, let's do a full campaign because you can, we did a mission, which was three little places, but yeah. you can tie together like five and like, and they get increasingly harder because then you have like, every time you get a guard doesn't turn up. That's another elite guard into Ooh, the thing. That maybe happens next game. Yeah, precisely. The bag of guards stays the same, so it means you're going to have harder and harder guards. Here's a nice thing about elite guards, which was like a rule which made me think, Ooh. I think this game might be good. You okay. know when you're reading a manual and yeah. you just go, I think this might be good, Yeah, is the rule that like normal guards, they walk around, and if they walk past an objective that needs protecting or they walk past an emplacement of gun placement, they'll stick onto it and they'll be like, actually, there's no one guarding this. I'm going to guard this, mm. apart from the elite guards. They just keep on walking. They don't guard things. <laughs> they got people to. They got commandos to look out for, which was like that's cool. Like elite guards. I'm not standing here. I'm not going to get stabbed in the back. I'm going to find me a British man. <laughs> that's good, uh, man. I'm, I'm. I would play this. Yeah, we'll, we'll try and organize a, a weekend thing at some point. Quite yeah, yeah. Play. I think you quite like it. It's, it's, it's like you know people talk about like um, beer and pretzel games. Yes, yes. Like yes. it feels like that to me, but like a, a really good one. Yeah. Um, let's talk about another game that surprised us by being hey. It's pretty good. Yeah. Let's talk about Dice Hospital. Yeah. Dice uh, Hospital's pretty good. So this is a game for, I think, two to four players. You all mm-hmm. play little hospitals, you've, which are made up of little hexagons. So you've got a nurse station. You put three little wooden nurses on it. And you've got, a I don't know, a cardiologist or whatever. And then that's where you can treat a person who needs heart health. Except no. Because... Because we're not treating people. We're treating dice. Actual dice. You look at the art on these things and you're like, there's a dice. Like about to go into like an MRI scan. Yeah, they've like... completely committed. It's a dice about to get an injection. On this is not this is on the actual printed art yes. on the tiles. And this is like it immediately uh, the last time I had like such an existential crisis was playing um Super Mario Odyssey on the Switch <laughs> and being a like... game in which some people are conscious and other people are other things aren't. Anyway, it raises a lot of questions. This raised a huge amount of questions because it actually apart from that has everything you might find in a hospital. So you get, like, radiology. You get, like, <laughs> dialysis machines. Yeah, and you're like, does this dice have dicky kidneys? Yeah, like, this dice has bad kidneys. Which also implies, if we open up the dice, what's inside? There's an oncology department for dice. What's oncology? Oncology is the treatment of cancer. It's like, <laughs> what, what does it mean for a dice to have cancer? Does yeah. it mean it's making more plastic inside of itself? What does it mean for a dice to be alive at it all? It doesn't. And then you think, well, we've got little wooden nurses. Like, are they actually made of wood? Yes. Are these wooden people walking around? I mean, we were always... But then there are chairs the hell is going on? Are there chairs for the wooden people? Are there chairs for the dice, which are tiny? Yeah. Anyway, so we should express... The way you actually play this game <laughs> is um, at the start of every round, uh, and obviously you're going to get points for treating dice, but at the start of each of the game's rounds, you roll a bunch of these dice and they all go into ambulances based mm-hmm. on priority. So the pip on the dice, so if you've got a dice that's a two, that's a really sick dice. If you've got mm-hmm. a dice that's a five, it's basically fine. Um, but then the dice get sorted into ambulances based on how bad they are. So you're like, oh, the really sick dice go here, the healthy dice go here. Now, players draft these ambulances, so you go, I'm going to take the healthy dice, and you go, I'll take the sick dice. What that means, though, because Matt took the sick dice, he gets first pick of the um, sort of shop 
that allows you to either buy staff, who are essentially little workers who you can send to different rooms in your hospital, or you can get different rooms in the hospital. Mm. So then you put all the dice and staff and um, tiles onto your hospital, and then you play this really nice little worker placement game whereby you've got maybe four members of staff, three nurses and a person who specialises in red dice, the, b- the bleeding dice, and then you can assign those um, staff around your hospital, which lets you rotate the dice. So, for example, you send your red blood expert to the cardiologist, which lets you treat a red dice by two step, two steps. That dice then rotates from a five to a six and would rotate to a seven, but there's no seven on the dice, which means the dice is cured mm-hmm. and leaves the hospital. Yeah. And that's your game. Yeah, and I I actually really liked it. It's all about setting up these lovely combos. Yeah, so you're, you're building these... Nice little hospitals out of it's like a honeycomb stack of rooms, and mm. then being like trying to find you know, as you would in the game, trying to find things that synergize of being like, Oh, if I get this specialist, then they're really good for doing things with yellows. But then you're like ambulance chasing, and you're being like, oh, I really need some, oh, I can't wait for some really sick yellow dice to turn up. Like, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's actually kind of sweet that they are dice and not people. Yeah, because it's a very it would be really weird if they were people because the way you play the game is not at all how hospitals should function. Well, it, the game functions on an assumption that the best thing a hospital can do <laughs> is release a bunch of patients out the door that are healthy at the same time. Yeah, so it has this wonderful mechanic whereby like, somebody is like, Doctor, this person is completely healthy. All we need to do is just give them this final bit of... Me- no, stop, do not, wait. Because <laughs> this guy has cancer and when he's... He's going to be better in like four months and then this guy's going to be better in three months. But if we get, let the guy who's really ill get better slightly slower then it's and basically yeah you have this system whereby if you can it's like a magic trick like yeah. you're like a crap magician rather than a doctor like, <laughs> if you can have a full hospital full of people who all in some seeming miracle can just be like immediately cured and leave on the same day you get a huge amount of points. You're chasing the press releases, aren't you? Yeah, I you're guess not- you are. Like, M- Miracle Hospital empties all beds in like an hour. But then you're like, well, how does that happen? It doesn't happen because you're the best doctor. It happens because you've been keeping people who don't need it on palliative care for like ages. <laughs> being like, Can I leave, doctor? No, no. no. Just give them painkillers. Don't treat them yet. Like, And yeah, it's, it's bizarre. And also the fact that like... The fact that you choose the ambulance that you want, like you can just be like this hospital that purposefully only treats people who are like basically not unwell. Yeah. Which is like... Because, uh, yeah, obviously there are some rooms and some staff that are better at treating dice that are already healthy. Yeah. There's rooms, and this is where the game comes in, there's rooms that, for example, let you treat three yellow dice at once in your urology department, Yep. but they all have to be the same number. So you've got this thing of being like, oh, I'll use the nurse to increase him by one, which means I'll have three twos, which means now I can improve all the three twos. Yeah. I really enjoyed the puzzle of that, actually, of like picking up some things and going, well, that's not perfect because those numbers aren't what I want, but the colours are good. And then if you think, well, if I use that, and so actually it was never about like what I do this turn it was always about like because you knew what abilities you had yeah and it's like if you have a dice that's like a three but then also have one that's a two and a four of the same color so that means you end up like picking up stuff because you think oh that's perfect that can come with that yeah but otherwise you think well i can't do exactly what i want this turn but you're like shifting the numbers and basically setting up uh for a future big combo yeah nothing like hospitals at all no which is fine because you know but it's really funny um, that it is a hospital and they are dice because we had a scenario whereby i was trying to do some big combo and it wasn't working. And a lovely rule is, if you you have to take an ambulance every turn, and if you cannot fit the patients from that ambulance in your hospital, then they do come into your hospital. It's just you have to then choose three patients currently in your hospital who die. <laughs> just like hospitals in real just life. Just like real hospitals. I'm sorry, 
these people now die. It's not. It's like also. Excuse me, sir. We need you to get out of this bed because there's a very sick man. Oh, can I leave the hospital? No, you must get. <laughs> you must die in this machine. And it's this thing of like, it wasn't always because you're trying to do these weird tactics. It wasn't always that you go. Well, obviously, the people who'll die are the people who are incredibly sick. Sometimes it was like. I'm afraid this person has to die because there are the dice has to die because it's a red dice and I'm not really into treating red dice. <laughs> so you can have someone who's come in with like a bruised ankle and then it's like, yeah, some another dice needed the bed, so we had had to kill them. Oh, uh, so and so many people died in my whole. I had this massive stack of dead dice next to me, and you were just running this because you I, you weren't taking any sick people into your hospital. You were like I showboating, taking the healthy people. People would go, oh, well, these dice are so ill. Oh, sorry, <laughs> we don't really. We're not interested in that. Like, it's like I got a cold. I haven't. There is a mechanic in it I really like, and what kills me is that it's not actually in the base game. They sell this deluxe component expansion, which adds a bunch of stuff you don't need. Yeah, big plastic ambulances and uh, wooden tokens to replace the cardboard ones. It's stuff that at Shut Up and Sit Down we would never tell you to pay for, but included in the deluxe components expansion are the experimental medicine cards and hospital tiles, which I love. Because yeah. Because they're the ones that use the fact that you've got dice. So you can have an experimental medicine wing of your hospital, which means you can take a dice and roll it, which means if you've got a dice that's a two and really sick, so give it some experimental meds, it'll probably get better. But also, if you've got like a five and you really need it to be like a value one to four so that your special one to four doctor can treat it give it a weird pill maybe you'll get sick and then you go doctor this guy seems really sick and he's vomiting all the time perfect yeah right (laughs) Um, but it sucks that the mechanics that are all to do with rolling dice and flipping dice and using these dice as physical objects is all tucked away special box it's in the expansion you have to pay extra for and that slays me I just wish that was in the base game yeah I was felt really unhappy about that as well particularly because the deluxe box like you don't I mean, like we were pl- we were playing with it because we're like, oh, we got it. Why not? So we had these big, massive plastic ambulances, which look great and really dumb. Yeah. But then, like, we found that the process of putting the dice on top of these big plastic ambulances was hassle. And by the end of the game, we were just putting them on the table in three places. We just ignored them completely. Yeah. Like, there we are. That's we used we the cardboard ambulances from the base game. Yeah. And we just like dice on there, dice on that. And it's like it's annoying when you have things like that where you add cool mechanics and cards along with like quite expensive pointless components which people might not want for all sorts of reasons yeah it sucks like either sell it as a cheap expansion or bundle it with the base game but don't put actual good mechanics in with the expensive components that price out some people and this is in real contrast to maybe the next game we should talk about Uh, you Rosenberg's games of course have a really nice habit Ah, often of giving you a game and being like hey play with this deck of cards first time then maybe afterwards try this one and having like just a little bit of extra cards and it's not much to print, just a little bit of stuff, which means like, hey, once you've played a couple of games, maybe add in these five cards and it will like spice it up a whole bunch. Yes, it sucks to have some something that's so cheap for the publisher to be yeah. tucked away in something a box. Something expensive for the publisher yeah. to make. Yeah, 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 it sucks. So yeah, um, then yeah, we can move on. But Dice Hospital, I think you and I really liked. Mm. Um, really nice sort of um, opener, maybe someone to get into the whole hobby. But frankly, you and I play loads of board games. We both really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's fun. It was pretty light, pretty light. It was pretty funny, but I, I enjoyed the puzzle of lining up the numbers and when you had the combos really popping off, it was really satisfying. Hey, yeah, so congratulations to that publisher and the designer, everyone involved in Dice Hospital. Shut up and sit down. It likes it a lot. Yeah, it's good. Uh, so finally, yeah, we have been to the Norwegian village of Nusfjord. Nusfjord. Which if you want to Google it, and you, you good luck with that, it's N-U-S-F-J. J. I can't oh, spell this in my head. O-R-D. O-R-D. 
Nisfjord. Just a fjord, man. No so big deal. This is from Uwe Rosenberg. It came out last year. Um, Uwe Rosenberg, of course, designer of Agricola, Caverna, and most recently, and exciting for us, a delicious a feast, feast for, for Odin. Odin. Oh, if mm. you've not seen Paul's Feast for Odin review, give that a Google. Oh, what a feast. Um, so Nisfjord is a game about running a Norwegian fishing village, and Matt and I would not disagreeing about this, but if you saw or heard our chat about Lowlands a mm-hmm. while back, it's a, a an economic sort of resource management game that fills a similar slot where you are running uh, agriculture. In this case, you're running little fishing villages as opposed to farming sheep. Again, the game is quite simple to teach and takes about an hour. And again, the game is really pretty great. I think it's fantastic. I mean, I've only played it once. You've played it a couple of times. Yeah. And in the one time I did play, I did win so spectacularly that it could be biasing me slightly. <laughs> but I was also incredibly tired. I don't really know how it happened. It was it was like uh, we we agreed that your body somehow decided that you were going to die. Yeah, I think and my this body- was the last thing you would do. <laughs> my body went into fight or flight mode. It was like, oh no, we have to survive. What are we doing? Whatever we're doing now, do it as well as you can. Yeah, uh, because surely this is you're trying to stop yourself from dying, aren't you? You're not wasting your time picking up tiny wooden fish. Yeah. So it's a game in which you pick up tiny wooden fish and you feed them to old people um, for fun. Uh, and yeah, that is a lot of it. It's fishing yep. uh, and then catching fish. You have a... Having feasts. Yes. So you have um, a couple of different things you can build up. You can build up your fishing fleet by spending wood and gold on new ships. And now will give you loads more fish. And then you can spend the fish by feeding people in the village, which makes you a bit of money. But of course, when you bring fish back... Before you get to have any of the fish, you have to feed all of the elders that you're looking after. I didn't say looking after, like, they're basically, like, I guess they're framed as being, like, elders in terms of, like, these people have got real experience. They're really, like, you know, they know what they're doing. Yeah. So, you are you know, you're feeding these old people, but they're also, they're really knowledgeable the and they've got all these skills. Lovely word, the silviculturalist, for example, who uh, yeah. is an expert on trees and yeah. will, will help you. Because in addition to your fishing fleet, you also have a really small little board, um, which is, at the start of the game... Half open spaces and half covered in nice wooden trees. I mean, cardboard trees, but you get the idea. Um, and all the, trees are wooden, technically. Uh, yeah, yes, that's right. what you meant, But I right? meant the component is cardboard rather yeah, 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 than because yeah, yeah, there right. is wood in the game. There's, are there trees that aren't made of wood? Weirdly, there's wooden fish in the game, which, anyway, we're getting yeah. off track. Um, you can also build buildings. And this is the heart of the game because um, Nusfjord, despite being like this game that only takes an hour, is pretty simple, <coughs> comes with, as you said, Three different decks of cards that are all different buildings. Not only that, if you play with, for example, the A buildings, um, you won't even see all of them. If we played Nusfjord again now, and again with the same deck of buildings, we'd see different ones. Yep. And that's vital because the buildings are what give Nusfjord its variety. It's all the different things you can build. Anything from a community center for the old people to... Uh, a retirement home to like you just had like yards like open yards yeah, to store fish. I was just trying to fill up my spaces and just getting some quick quick points here and there. It was it was a really interesting one in the fact that like rather than in most games where you have this like you know all this this card chop of things you can build. This one, it felt immediately much more bitey and tactical because it didn't fill up again. Like, throughout the game, you do add things every now and then. It's like, mm. oh, put a couple of new things in there. But largely what was there at the start of the game, apart from there being a bit towards the end where there was suddenly a second wave of things where it was like, here's some new expensive stuff, yep. that was what was there. And so it wasn't like, oh, I didn't get that thing. But never mind, next round, three new things will get added and maybe I'll want one of them. Yep. It was just like, it felt like... It's a worker placement game where you have to yeah. choose each time. So do you want to explain roughly quickly what worker placement is? So worker placement is, of course, where you have like uh, a set number of tokens and you take it in turns to basically put a token 
on the action that you want to do. But the actions are all shared, which means that like maybe some things, oh, this can be done three times. That's not a problem. Maybe I'll do it later. But lots of things can only be done once by one player if, each turn. If you want to be the guy that hosts the banquet that year yeah. and feeds fish to the whole village. And, and becomes get, very popular because of it. Um, then if you do that first, then no one else can do it. No one else can do it. Or if you want to cut down some trees yep. and make some money and get some wood and make some space for building new buildings, you can do it, but no one else can do it. So it becomes the, the, the interesting thing about worker placement games where you have this shared worker placement space is it makes not just the choice of what are you going to do this turn interesting, but when are you going to do it? Like, what's the most important thing? And often with this, these games can be a bit of a crapshoot. and They can be a bit of like, oh, I don't want to risk it, so I'm just going to do it now because if someone else is going to do it, then I'll be in trouble. However, what I really, really liked about this game... Newsford. 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 I love the word. Mm. Is that it was very readable. Yes. Like you could immediately look at other people's boards and get a sense of what they were working towards, what they were doing, and what they were capable of buying or doing next turn. Since playing Root, it's really made me realise that wooden three-dimensional components or miniatures actually have a secondary use beyond just feeling nice. Mm-hmm. Three-dimensional components mean at a distance it's much easier to spot what players are doing. Yes, and so you have this nice mechanic whereby like, you have a lovely little barrel in front of you that gets overflowed with stuff. And it means you don't have to count it particularly. You can just see at a glimpse, whoa, that person's got a lot of wood. Whoa, that person's got a lot of fish. That person's got a lot of money. And then you can also see at a glimpse like, oh, that person's like really running out of space and they're going to have to cut down some forests soon if they want to do that. Or, oh, that person's fishing capacity is terrible. They're going to probably build some boats. So immediately you can not only be like, okay, well, I want to do this, this and this. You can then look around and be like, is there any rush with this? Like, And it was quite nice to have a game like that, which is really rare for me, where I wanted to build something and for three turns in a row, I saw it there and thought, I can't do it yet. But actually, these guys are nowhere near it, and I don't think they're interested in it, so I'll do it later. Yeah, it re- it led to an interesting conversation from us, because over the years, Shut Up and Sit Down has reviewed so many worker placement games. Um, but what Uwe Rosenberg, the originator of the genre, proves with Nysfjord is like the point of worker placement, which is the decision of what space and when to do it is so exciting. It's not just, mm. oh, I want this reward. Oh, you blocked. It's like routinely in your someone takes a space and you go no or and this is really interesting sometimes you don't take a space because you think it's going to get better yes next turn yes because the way the game's designed for example you can all issue shares in your own company as a way of getting some quick cash and anyone can then go and pick up all the shares that everyone has issued if you wait maybe there'll be more shares to buy there yep you know maybe there'll be a different elder if you go and encourage an old person to come back to your village later the the number of ways in which there is interaction between players and interlocking systems i thought was just fabulous Mm. and i I, the fact that yes you can sell shares for quick money but then also if you really don't want other people to be benefiting from your stuff you can buy your shares back Mm. Or you can buy other people's shares and what that means is like for example like i've got a boat and i've bought loads of boats and i now get like nine fish every turn and before the start of the game you get like three yeah i've got so many fish but then like well i've also got three old people living here giving me their expertise <laughs> and so every round i have to give them a fish each and then oh well you know somebody bought some shares in my company so they get a fish for each share they have and then here and there and then you know you get shortchanged you realize like i've only got like three fish left mm. and so it becomes this thing of like if another player has built this massive shipping fleet and they're getting loads of fish yeah, maybe you do that thing of, oh, I'm going to buy loads of boats. Or maybe you just try and buy all their shares. Maybe you just try and do something else as a means of like taking away a little bit every turn of what they've done or what they've built. And also the way that when you have this feast, there's a mechanic of, yeah, you can drop big baskets of fish on the table and feed everyone in the town and make money for it. But also the fish that remain on those plates are the same ones you have to use 
to then every time you want to use one of your elder abilities. Because a common thing in worker placement games is the game starts off being like, oh, well, you know, if you want to do this, then only one person can do it. And oh, no. But then it'd be like, hey, but now you can get this special card that you can put in front of you. And that means you could do the same ability, but whenever you want. And you can always do it. Yeah. Whereas in this, it has the interesting twist of that's true. But there's also a shared resource for who, how many times you can do this. And it might be that if other people have been like getting all the old people in their town to help them out with stuff, then there's no more fish to feed the old people. It means it doesn't matter that you've got these old people. There's no fish. You can't use them. It's not... Yeah, it, it's, I can see why um, the critical reception for Nysfjord was everyone being like, yeah, it's good, but it's not great. Um, and I think the reason why is there's very little about it that's spectacular. Yes. But everything about it is so solid. I think it's I think it's genuinely brilliant. Like I think I think the way that everything like interconnects in a way that constantly you have a decision of being like, yeah, it's not just like should I do this now or someone else is going to do it. It's like should I wait because I think if I do this next turn it's going to be even more valuable for me. Mm. And you can actually make proper judgment calls. A lot of the times with Euro games you have this thing if you're playing your own game. When we were playing. And I mean, maybe this is why I like I, I stomped you guys. I was really unusually like looking at what I could do and what's going on with me, but then really looking at what you guys were doing. And a lot of the time, I was able to work it out. And there were times where people did things that was a bit unexpected. Yeah. But mostly, I was like, no, that's not. That's fine. That's fine. And it also meant that I think again a big difference for me from um, from Lowlands. Yeah. Is Lowlands has obviously the, 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 the thematically the mother of all interaction. Uh, but has a different approach to it. Whereas in this... Which is that you are building... I'll come back to that in a sec, I think. But um, in this, the tiny interaction everywhere means that, yes, if you're savvy, you can get one over on people in every way. But it also means, like, blocking people is tremendously powerful. Like, I, I ruined our friend Chris Bratt last night when he had a yard full of fish, and all he needed to do was just put his token on a thing that meant he could put all of those fish in his barrel and then sell them. But I took that action first mm. as a player who also had my own ability to do that action on my own later if I wanted to. And it just meant that then he, he got this massive shipload of fish coming in again next turn that all had to get thrown into the bin pretty much. Because the, the, the big bin known as the, the sea. sea the, the world's greatest bin. Um, so I found that quite interesting when it's like often I find in games like this when you have got this level of interaction taking an action to deny someone else something or taking an action just to screw someone over is usually something that feels petty and punitive and not really fun because it's not really helping you advance your own stuff. Yes. But when you see an opportunity in this to really damage someone's plan, yeah. it's great <laughs> and it's fun. And it's not like in some Euro games you go, oh, sorry, yeah, I'm doing this and it's really going to mess you up. But in this, it's like, I'm just going to really mess them up. And in a way that you think, I've probably just cost them about three or four points. That's like... This is as valuable but as But it doesn't feel frustrating because the design... You're not doing it to be mean. No, I, that's the difference. I was I was doing it to be mean. And I think... What, okay, but it didn't feel mean. No, you, it just felt like part of the game. Right. Because the game had given you tools to be readable. Whereas I think what I'm saying is often what will happen is you'll be playing this game and you'll have a plan, you'll have your own little machine, and because you're focused on your card thing in front of you, you don't really know what's going on with people. When someone else buys the thing that you really wanted, you're always like, oh, I really wanted that. Yep. And you go, oh, sorry. Uh. But in this, someone goes, oh, I really wanted that. And you're like, I know. <laughs> like You, <laughs> you should have bought it cause, sooner. Because you can see what they're trying to do. And that clarity, I think, is... is I think that's the thing. Is you're right, nothing about it is spectacular. But for me, I found... 
in that first play, the clarity of it was spectacular. But well, we can return to it. We've got our next few video reviews blocked out for the year, but maybe one for a nice video review yeah, for I'm, early next I'm, year. It's one of those things where, like, I, I really love the components. I really love the the flow of it, and I'm 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 really looking forward to playing it again. But, oh, I mean, I, I feel that with like a lot of a. Uh, Rosenberg stuff I feel like it has a, a loveliness to the connections of the systems that I just really like I couldn't agree more but and then usually though this is my one complaint about Newsfields, which you and I disagree on but yeah Uwe Rosenberg games usually everything is the right size everything is chunky and big Newsfield is so bizarre because everything is a bit too small <laughs> like, if you want to pick up eight wood from the shop that's such a tedious tiny fiddly thing I found it fine you want to pick up five coins Look, man, not all of us have dexterous piano fingers like you. Some I was shaking last night. I was, I was. It was that tired. It. It's just so everything feels unusually sized. I love the dinky fish. Yeah, no, it didn't bother me. I do like chunky stuff, but actually, I kind of like the the dinkiness. But it's funny how, like, I think it's interesting. And I think what I liked about it, and especially, it's kind of funny about a game about catching fish and giving fish dinners to old people, which is lovely. <laughs> yeah, is what a the, great thing! It's the fact that in Lowlands, like you have this. There's not a lot of interaction a lot of the time, but then you have the mother of all interactions in the fact that if you do not collectively build this dam, the whole land is going to flood and your sheep are going to get washed away. Mm. Which is basically a case of like, hey, why aren't you helping build the dam? And everyone's like, I'm not worried. It's going to be fine. And then depending on whether or not it is fine. So that's a game where it's like you have to be doing something, but it's almost like a moral thing of being like, well, if you didn't help, then yes. it's your own fault. It tells a better story for sure. It does tell a better story. Whereas in this, it's like, yeah, you're just like, I'm not helping you. Screw you. I'm going to steal your boats. Yeah. <laughs> so I can feed grandpops. <laughs> yeah. I think, yes, it's, I still definitely do prefer Lowlands, but I was, yeah. I was just saying that Lowlands is the more expensive game. I, I think actually for me, it's like, it's not even about um, which one I prefer. I think it's just an interesting example of like the, the texture of these sorts of things that you can have two games that are like both like focusing on a twee sort of industry both games featuring like building things on square and filling up a map with things and i feel like they play like really and feel really differently despite the fact that all of the components and all of the aspects are almost identical they do feel differently and i think i am going to keep both um i really do like nisfjord and lowlands uh but yeah, what a nice day. I'm so excited for uh, Rake Holt, which is the next Uwe Rosenberg game. You don't know about it, do Rake you? Holt. Yeah. Mm. Oh, it's maybe one of my most anticipated games. Um, it is. It models, again, a hyper-specific industry. It's about Icelandic greenhouses. Wow. Because they have all that free geothermal energy in Iceland, right? Just, so, and you can have as much as you want of it, yeah. Yeah, so you can, uh, you've can. you got greenhouses. They get filled with hot air, so you can grow uh, tomatoes and lettuces. But the art of it is kind of like, um, ooh, imagine like a child's storybook from the 80s. So it's like, this is nice, but just a tiny bit sinister. Like, you're like, what's behind that greenhouse? <laughs> like, it's a bit dark. And yeah, I love the fonts. I love everything about it. But um, it doesn't play like any Uwe Rosenberg games we've played before. It's a spin on one of his old games called At the Gates of Loyang. So you build new greenhouses, which are cards, which only have room for six little vegetables. And you put little wooden vegetables on. It's going to be great. I'm so excited for more wooden vegetables. Vegetables, vegetables, vegetables. vegetables. There was a, a, a wonderful uh, tweet last night, I think, uh, from a guy I called Will, who was um, in reference to the stream saying, I worry sometimes because people say that board games are boring and then I think, no, they're not boring. But then the point at which Quinn said that in a short amount of time in the stream, he would share a fact about granola. I became uncharacteristically excited. Uh, and I was like, yeah, no, same. Like, as that granola like, fact was good though. Huh? It was great. But as soon as I knew that, I was like, right, there's a granola fact. I got so excited. And it's like, no, yeah, 
I, I am boring. I like my well, favourite comment on the stream was someone... Because, you know, Flam Rouge is a game where there's a lot of moving and a lot of counting how many spaces you move. And it's going, one, two, three, four, five, six. And someone in the stream going, this week on three grown men count to five. <laughs> yeah, I really was struggling with counting. Most of it was me just silently counting numbers whilst moving my finger across to count the spaces without doing it on the board. Yeah, lots of good stuff going up on our YouTube channel. Between uh, the Flamme Rouge Peloton playthrough and the Root Review uh, in a couple of days. Ooh. i got some fun stuff. Yeah, pop up, pop up, pop up on YouTube. Pop up on it. Pop Why up. don't you? You have to go and catch a train to go talk to your dad, I think. I do talk to my dad. Uh, dad, I need to talk to you about... Your birthday! Happy birthday! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I made that sound very sinister, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, I've got to go. But I'll talk next time about something else, because uh, I played my first game of Twilight Imperium, 4th edition, all the way through. It was a big, long in day. In a very unusual circumstance, because you played it in teams. I played it in teams of two, and it was actually really interesting, and it made me realise some fun things about games I think and the people who like them. Obviously, we would love to do, uh, on our new Twitch channel, a stream of Twilight Imperium 4th edition, and... For a couple of interesting reasons, we thought we'd do that in pairs. But that's for the next podcast, mm, I think. Yeah. Or yeah. maybe the one after that. Yeah. Next time we're down in Brighton. Yeah. 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 Okay. Anyway, i got to go get a train now. Goodbye. Give your dad my love. If you have enjoyed this podcast, you know what helps that a lot? It is reviews. It's telling other people about the podcast. It's sharing the love of podcasting. Oh, I'm very tight. Oh, the hangover. Oh, the hangover's just kicking Two in. Two beers, man. I'm, it's no joke. I'm going to go and and get myself an Alka-Seltzer. Good uh, good night everybody. Bye.